What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Wicked South Podcast. Exploring the dark history of the Murdoch legal dynasty and fascinating criminal cases on both sides of the law. Every county in the South has its share of scandals, controversies, unsolved crimes, and unpunished dark deeds. But these days, it seems like Hampton County, South Carolina, home of the Murdoch legal dynasty, has had more than its fair share. Today, the Wicked South podcast explores a case involving another dead teenager in a Hampton County road that rings with uncanny similarities to Stephen Smith's unsolved homicide case. While this isn't an unsolved mystery, there are many unanswered questions and a grieving local family felt so strongly that they were denied justice that they did the unthinkable, filed a lawsuit against two of the most powerful men in the 14th circuit, Buster Murdoch and his son, Randolph Murdoch III. Hello, friend. Those unfamiliar with the Wicked South podcast, that voice was Michael DeWitt Jr., writes for Gannett Newspapers. He's a Hampton native and very familiar with the Murdochs from decades gone by, and he studied the history of Hampton in that area, and we keep bringing you amazing stories, and we uh, think you're enjoying it, and people have been reaching out on our Facebook page. Yeah, we've gotten some good response on our Facebook page, which is The Wicked South. And that was the voice of Seton Tucker. I am Matt Harris, and let's dive in. Seton, went, uh, what's your first question for Michael about this case? Well, let's go back to the night of July 1st, 1985, where Philip W. Maddie Jr., only 15, was found dead in the middle of the road in Hampton. Michael, tell us the circumstances. Well, this is a little different than Stephen Smith once you dig into it, but you can't help but but feel the uh, the similarities. And then this is a, a young man, uh, a teenager, uh, body found lying in the middle of a road, whereas Stephen was found in the middle of a, of a country road, uh, Sandy Run Road, uh, with very few houses. Um, this young man was found uh, pretty much right on the, the main drag going through, um, through Hampton, Highway 278, uh, Elm Street, found around 225 uh, a.m., and uh, he was a little ways from home, about 14 miles. And uh, this isn't, uh, even though in some documents I saw it described as a hit and run, it wasn't exactly a hit and run. The driver was 23-year-old uh, Ray Vernon Dunbar. 
said that he didn't see that the young man was lying in the road, uh, motionless. He didn't see uh, the body until it was too late, and, and he hit him. And while the coroner at the time, Hampton County Coroner Gordon Roden, uh, ordered an, an autopsy to uh, try to get a little bit more information, um, he even uh, described it as an accident uh, when he, in, the, in the papers of the day. I want to talk to you for something you just said there to get clarification. He was hit while lying in the road, or he was hit and then went into that position on the ground? According to the article in the state paper, which was the very next day, July 2nd, 1985, the driver says Maddie was lying in the road and okay. he didn't see him. The, hmm. uh, now, we don't know if that, uh, if that actually happened or not, but that's the way the, uh, the driver described it to police, and that's the way it was reported in the, in the paper that day. And you have to feel a lot of compassion for this driver who hit somebody if this person was just lying in the middle of the road. That's the case. You, you might not be able to see them. But let's get to what do y'all think? Why was he lying in the middle of the road? Are there theories on this, Michael? Because you know, the, the first thing well, that will come to mind is that he just passed out there from a night of carousing and carrying on, but he's only 15, and I know nothing about him. But why else is someone in the road, either they're knocked unconscious and in the road, or they fall asleep in the road? That's one of the unanswered questions about this case. Well, I said it isn't the same level of mystery uh, of Stephen Smith. There are a lot of unanswered questions. How did this young man come to be lying in the road in the first place? Was he dead before he was hit? Was he incapacitated, passed out, intoxicated? We don't know any of these things. And um, the, uh, I haven't been able to, to locate the, uh, the autopsy report just yet, but it was conducted at MUSC at the request of the Hampton Police Chief. And it did not lead police to, uh, to press any charges against the driver. So that's one of those unanswered questions. Why, why, why was he there? And it gets interesting when we found out that about an hour before the accident, at 11.20 p.m., it was a Sunday night, uh, he met the Hampton police chief, Jerry Thomas, at the police station, and he reported that he had been robbed. Uh, a few minutes before that, he said he'd been robbed of $7 by two boys on bicycles, and he requested a ride to Fairfax. I'm not sure why he was going to Fairfax because he was living in Lena at the time, which is in the opposite direction, the southern part of Hampton County. Mm -hmm. And the officers at Hampton said, well, we can't give you a ride to another county inside of our jurisdiction. So he was basically uh, attempting, he had reported a robbery at the Hampton PD. He was attempting to, to walk on 278 to Fairfax which would be north, whereas his home was, was south of him. And that's when the driver said his, he found his body uh, in the middle of the road. And the autopsy was, uh, was hopefully going to help them find, you know, was the robbery a factor in that? Was he maybe hit over the head or something, and he, and he just later succumbed to that injury or, or what? Those more unanswered questions. Well, how far was the robbery? I think you found that, Matt, from where this accident occurred. About a mile. Yep, about a mile from where his body was found. I, I looked at the map, and I was look, I'm was. i still looking at the map. Is, is that the natural route to take from police station to, not to his home, we know that's the opposite direction, but to where right. he said he wanted to go? Yeah, if you're going to go from Hampton to Fairfax, it's, a, it's pretty much a straight shot north up to 78 from uh, Hampton to Fairfax, and then that road will take you right on into Allendale and 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 so forth. So he was uh, apparently attempting to go to to Fairfax. What's the distance between Hampton and Fairfax? How long would this walk take you? 
That's a nice little hike. It's uh, it's probably eight to ten minute drive from Hampton, so I don't know how many how many miles that is. Right. I know Hampton is about fourteen uh, miles from Lena, and it's a little closer to Fairfax. You may have had some family in Fairfax, uh, but uh, about an eight to ten minute drive uh, yeah. from Hampton. You would take six at one, I guess, if you're going from where he lived up to Hampton. It says, yeah, fourteen minute drive or so, and then. You've got to walk to wherever he was headed. That's another law. I mean, it's, it's a, you're right. That is a good hike. So it, it would make sense to me that he would be attempting to find a ride there because like you said, it's a, it's a pretty big hike. I put on the walk instead of the drive. It says three hours. Yeah. From Elm Street to, uh, you know, still Lena. So that's ridiculous. Let's get back to this robbery of $7. Well, that might've been all, all the boy had. We don't know a whole lot about, um, who robbed him or why he was robbed, what the circumstances were. Could have been a simple case of, uh, you know, somebody saw this young man walking. Apparently he had been working. He'd been doing some farm work in the area um, that day. And uh, I guess it was maybe hanging around with some friends or around town and was trying to get back home. And two young men probably saw an opportunity and $7 might've been all he had. But what gets really interesting is is that uh, that walk home. He, he's trying to hitchhike, you know. To, uh, you're going to walk in the dark from Hampton to Fairfax. I'd say it's easily, uh, you know, two or three hours, like like you mentioned. He attempted to hitch a ride and was a Hampton police officer. And his name is mentioned in a lawsuit um, and uh, other uh, newspaper documents. But an officer at the time, a Hampton officer, Richard Johnstone, and he's uh, he's deceased now. I happen to to know most of these officers here in Hampton that are mentioned in this in this story. Um, he was a Hampton police officer at the time. At uh, at one time in his career, he was a sheriff's deputy at one time. So I don't know what agency he was working for on that particular night, but reportedly Richard Johnstone, this Hampton uh, officer, refused to give him a ride. He uh, basically told him to uh, you know just stick his thumb out and hitchhike. And that's where a lot of the trouble starts. Uh, you, you'll see, you know, nothing's ever straightforward in Hampton County. One thing leads to another, and, and there lies uh, part of the trouble. So Hampton police officer that could have uh, helped him, um, well, twice apparently, uh, police could have given him a ride or, or done something. They, they didn't act, and which, you know, maybe they're not required to, they're not a taxi service, to, you know, in their defense. Yeah. They, not required to give people rides home, but they didn't. And the young man ends up dead on a Hampton County road. So now we've got quite a uh, interesting scenario. They go to the driver's vehicle. Ray Vernon Dunbar was 23. We talked about, said he didn't see Matty lying in the road, uh, Philip Matty Jr. And that's when he hit him. So they go into his car and they found a couple of joints. It says they were unable to determine who those belonged to, but you know, doesn't everybody say that oh, others aren't mine? Well, it's an interesting question. Did they belong to this, you know, Philip Maddie, or did they belong to the driver? But, you know, I don't think we'll Well, they were in Dunbar's the car. They said they were outside. They were oh, outside, outside of his outside car. Of the car. You're, you're yes. right. My bad. My bad. They were outside. What do you mean? What does that even mean outside the car, right? Were they laying on the there road? Were two joints in the road. Your first thought is it's Maddie's because is Dunbar going to waste his two joints when he knows the cops are coming? Well, I guess maybe oh. he just threw them out there. I don't know. If but it might have somebody. nothing to do with it. There was a reason they mentioned that. Could drugs have been involved? Was that 
a rumor or a thought in any of the filings? Well, I mean, it, it's clear if the two marijuana joints were found outside the car, um, it is quite possible that drugs could have been involved uh, um, in the case of the driver. There's no official evidence in the documents that says that uh, Philip Maddie Jr. was intoxicated or using drugs or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, in the um, law enforcement report, two joints were found outside the car, okay. but police were not able to determine who they belonged to. Yeah, um, I guess the question is, and I'm not a, a, a legal prosecution expert, but you know, do you try to charge someone with possession of marijuana in a, in a fatal accident like that? If they don't actually have possession, it's a, right. marijuana could very well have been there. But, you know, a good lawyer could say, well, hey, he was just driving down the road and there happened sure. to be two joints laying there. Uh, you know, so it's yeah. kind of a gray area, um, but certainly a legitimate question, you know, after the fact. So we talked about how Philip Matty asked Chief Thomas for a ride back to Fairfax. And he said, I, that's out of my jurisdiction. And then we mentioned that Officer Richard Johnstone also didn't give the teenager a ride. And you said that's where things went awry, because that brings us to uh, the lawsuit. Who shoots the uh, first shot in this? Who files the first lawsuit? Let me break down this opening lawsuit, and then uh, Seton can tell us about a wave of lawsuits that came after it. And then I want to tell you how the Murdoch responded. So the young man's father, Philip Maddie Sr., Obviously, grieving uh, dad lost his son, and uh, I guess to add, you know, insult to to uh, injury and, and grief, um, the driver wasn't charged. It was it was considered an accident, despite the fact that there was marijuana found outside of the vehicle, despite the fact that the uh, young man had asked police twice for a ride. Uh, no charges were filed against the driver. Well. The father, grieving father, decides to uh, take it to the next level. He files a lawsuit, and he names, he never names the driver of the vehicle. He names the South Carolina Attorney General, Mary Frances Henderson, who was a magistrate in Hampton County at the time, longtime magistrate, and Randolph Murdoch Jr. and Randolph Murdoch III. Now, at the time of this death, 1985, Buster Murdoch, Randolph Jr., was solicitor of uh, Hampton County in the 14th Circuit, and Randolph III was the assistant solicitor. Well, by the time this lawsuit had was filed on February 14, 1992, which is seven years later, Buster had retired, and now Randolph III was solicitor. So after seven years of, of grief and, and no answers and no justice, which another similarity, it reminds us of a of the case of Stephen Smith and his mother, Sandy, how, how for eight years she's waited for an arrest, waited for answers, waited for justice. Well, after seven years, this grieving father took it into his own hands and he filed a lawsuit against these very powerful people. The attorney general, I guess, was uh, added, you know, ultimately they say the Murdochs didn't, uh, and the magistrate didn't uh, press charges against the driver. They didn't press charges against Officer Richard Johnstone for refusing to give him a ride. Lack of prosecution. They didn't do their job, and the attorney general uh, didn't make them do their job. So he, uh, you know, I guess this would be a, a, a Hail Mary lawsuit. I'm going to, I can't sue the driver. I'm going to take it to the top and sue anybody I can sue that uh, ultimately could have been responsible or could have. Uh, uh, changed this this outcome, and 
uh, he was requesting uh, $4.5 million for actual damages as well as punitive damages and legal costs. And that suit again was filed February 14, 1992. Hmm. One of the things that I think in the lawsuit that they said was that, you know, the officer told him to go hitchhike, which was, that was illegal. And there were other violations. Yeah, I mean, you know, the father has got a good point. I mean, why wasn't the driver, um, you know, charging anyway? Uh, you know, why wasn't he held in some some way liable? Why wasn't the police officer charged? This Hampton police officer instructs this kid to, to break the law. Hitchhiking is against the law. He's like, hey, you know, stick your thumb up and go for it. You're on your own, kid. And, you know, why wasn't the officer charged? Why? You know, why isn't somebody held accountable for the death of my son? And he had, he had some very good, very good points. And he had been fighting the battle for a while in various ways. And you, the lawsuit was 92, right? So back in August 91, uh, we found the article in the Buford Gazette uh, that the Hampton residence picket solicitor, and that was all about that. It was not just, no, I shouldn't say all about that because it wasn't the only case where there were people upset about a non-prosecution. Yes, Philip's father was quoted in this article, and then it says that people have been afraid of the Murdochs, but they are rallying against him. And this is all in regards to Randolph seeking re-election in 1992. Um, and in this article, they refer to the Murdochs as a dynasty. And you know, now we've we've seen a lot of news about that recently, but it's just interesting that we we see this article back from 1991 that is saying the same things that people are saying now. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I, I saw this also, this uh, note in there, uh, one of the, the lines in this, this article, that Phil Matty, the father of the young man that got hit in the middle of the road, claims that he and the other people who are protesting the Murdoch has avoided prosecuting certain homicide cases for political reasons. Now that's a pretty, pretty strong statement. I mean, we're, he's not just saying he's doing this and that illegally. He is actual murders. He is not following up on. So Michael, when you read this article, 
uh, and you start reading about these other cases, that's a pretty strong accusation that murders are going unprosecuted because of who you know kind of thing. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe political reasons might not be the most accurate word. I think if there's a, a situation where uh, Randolph or Buster didn't prosecute something, um, and you'd have to take it on a case-by-case basis, obviously. Right. You know, they may have legitimate reasons not to do it. Maybe they didn't think they could win. Uh, you know, keep in mind, these Murdochs, they like to win. They they brag about that high conviction rate. And if they see a case where it's maybe it's too much trouble or they don't think they can win, um, you know, that might be a factor. Maybe somebody they know uh, they don't want to prosecute. So not really politics more than, um, once again, like we mentioned in the previous episode, they their selective use of justice. Now, to be know? fair, they, this is often leveled against prosecutors across the country. Oftentimes, you'll hear, why didn't you charge that guy? Or why'd you charge him light? Or whatever. It's the culmination of all things put together in the Murdochs that's different. But it's not unusual for prosecutors to be accused of that. And also, to be Absolutely. fair, that we, we hear from family members, these family members who have lost people they, they are just seeking justice. So emotions are running high from their point of view as well. And more about these protests in the Beaver County Gazette article. They talk about some of these protesters say, we're going to follow him around. Wherever Murdoch goes, we're going to be there protesting. We don't know whether that happened or not. But there are some big players involved in these protests other than the, the Philip Matty uh, incident. There are, I believe, three other families that have lawsuits so one that is really interesting they all are but this one is uh charging again murdoch of not prosecuting a murderer it's the murder of lewis bubba hughes by william h johnson on january 23rd of 1990 what was the story why why was this not prosecuted, and what were the, the reasons why the family thinks it should have been? Well, this is a, another uh, one of these uh, unanswered Murdoch questions here. William H. Johnson was uh, you know, accused of, of murdering Lewis Bubba Hughes on January 23rd of 1990. What's interesting, he, he was killed in a shotgun blast, uh, Hughes was, and according to the reports, Johnson had actually told people that, that hey, I'm going to kill him, you know? Jeez. Um, we don't know the circumstances, what the, what the beef was, but he he going around telling people, hey, I'm, I'm going to blow him away. Hmm. And so he did it. Now that right there makes it interesting. All right, why are you, uh, the Murdochs said, okay, it's self-defense because we found a knife in, in you's hand. Um, but he's going around, uh, Johnson's going around the community telling people he's going to kill you. And then another interesting uh, fact is, or factor was uh, the family of the victim said that, uh, the knife was found in in his uh, other hand, like the guy was right-handed or whatever, and then the the knife that oh. was, was allegedly planted there was found in the other hand. So lots of questions that uh, you know, if you're a grieving family, um, just just don't sit well with you. Didn't that up? Know? Yeah. And the, he had a missing finger. That was also what a missing finger. The murderer or the guy who got murdered. The guy who got murdered. And oh, so they're saying maybe because of a missing finger, he couldn't hold a knife. Yeah, I think that's what it was. He had recently had a finger, uh, lost a finger in an accident. And so they were saying there's no way he would have been holding a knife in that hand. Uh, he would have been holding a knife in the other hand. 
but uh, but there it was plain as day, and so they're claiming that the knife was planted there, either planted by the shooter, planted by somebody at the scene or law enforcement or whatever. You know, when you've lost a loved one, it doesn't take much for you to think that you're not getting justice. And uh, a lot of these unanswered questions certainly don't sit well with, with you. And Hughes' sister actually showed up at this rally to protest the re-election of Randolph. And they were seeking $4.5 million in punitive damages. So you've got uh, the lawsuit from the story that started this whole thing with Philip Maddie Jr. being killed, uh, laying in the road, getting hit, nobody charged. We got the one we just told you about where a guy says he's going to shoot somebody. The guy ends up dead, but he doesn't get prosecuted because... Murdoch as a solicitor says it's self-defense. And the other one of the other lawsuits, moved to list is lawsuit three, if you're keeping track at home, was this drunk driving accident scene. Yep, this one involved two young children and the grandfather sued saying that this drunk driver got off easy. It was a recommended sentence, I think three years, and Murdoch knocked it down to one. So that's uh, the And third that was one. only probation, I believe. Yep. Uh, and then the, the fourth one, uh, of these four families that are suing at the, about the same time is the Betty Neese case. In this case, her son was killed by a police officer on May 3rd, 1986. What she says in the lawsuit is that the officer was indicted by a grand jury, I guess, and Solicitor Murdoch Jr. tampered with that. And through various legalese you don't need to know, the case uh, was closed. And, and she's like, hey, it was on the way. And then Solicitor Murdoch steps in, and all of a sudden it's not going anywhere. What's the, what's the deal on that? So that, that's your four right there that were happening within small time frame. The kid in the, in, in the road, the uh, guy that gets sh- killed by a shotgun blast, there's a, the drunk driver killing the two kids, and uh, the, the, the woman's son who was killed by a police officer, Murdoch, she claims, stepped in and basically got him off on that. So those four families kind of gathering together to protest against Murdoch, who did get reelected, by the way, which is obvious because they continued on until you know, almost 100 years from the beginning. And, and so, Michael, what's interesting, too, about this is the Murdochs come back with a countersuit. And I don't even you have to explain to me. Cause I'm not up on it. Who they were suing, when it happened. What was the deal? Well. I like to look at the big picture when I when I see stories like this, you know, um, you dive into the details and every now and then it's good to kind of kind of step back and look at the big picture. And, you know, we saw the similarities uh, between Philip Matty case and Stephen Smith case, uh, uncanny similarities. We are seeing uh, these people, uh, several families around the 14th Circuit, much like Sandy Smith, that, you know, don't don't think they can get justice against the Murdochs. They use words like that we're using today, like dynasty and, and power. And it's a case where, as you were about to see, uh, you know, the Murdochs just continue to, to uh, practice law the way they see fit. It doesn't matter that people are protesting outside the courtroom. It doesn't matter that people are filing lawsuits against them. They are administering their brand of justice. And I thought this was uh, particularly telling. I went to, when I went to the Hampton County Courthouse uh, a month ago to get a copy of the very first lawsuit that was filed in that train wreck that we talked about last week, I found the lawsuit uh, filed by Philip Maddy and I found the countersuit. Now, here's what's interesting. And uh, number one, Maddy decided to represent himself. He, he wrote his own legal documents, filed them. He, What's the old uh, expression? 
uh, he who has a, who defends himself as a fool for a client. Yeah. Well, he, um, he decided to represent himself and, uh, he's got to remember he's suing two very good lawyers. Not only do they have the power of the law on their side, you know, they are very good lawyers in and of themselves. And so he files his lawsuit on February 14th, 1992. Well, very interesting. A month later, March 16th, 1992, they filed an answer. Randolph Jr. Uh, and the third uh, filed an answer and a counterclaim. So, of course, they denied uh, all of the allegations. They mentioned some technicalities of why um, the case should be dismissed. They say he uh, didn't didn't state his facts correctly and that he even is not was not officially the personal representative of the estate of his son. So obviously the guy, he's a grieving father, but maybe he hasn't filed the legal paperwork to actually be the personal representative of oh. his estate. So they point that out that, hey, legally, you're, you can't sue us as a PR. They use, you know, lawyers are, are, are going to use the law. And they uh, dug up the doctrine of sovereign immunity in the 11th Amendment to the United States Constitution that says, you know, as public officials, we're, um, you know, immune under common law mm-hmm. um, uh, while, you know, being in the performance of our duty. You know, we're, um, we've got sovereign immunity as solicitor and assistant solicitor. You know, you can't sue us. We're, we're, we've got immunity. Right. Then this is where here is where it gets really interesting. I thought the language here was particularly if you if you don't like uh, lawyers as a general rule, well, if you don't like shady lawyers, uh, you'll probably uh, uh, enjoy this. They filed a uh, counterclaim. They referenced the protest. They uh, basically said that um, Philip Matty was harassing and slandering them. He what? got on the newspaper, uh, got on the radio station in Hampton and Allendale. Um, was quoted in the newspaper, basically accusing them of misconduct and malfeasance in office. They made a lot of public uh, statements against him, claiming they obstructed justice and they were being harassed. And here's the language I thought was most interesting. Keep in mind, this is written by two of the most powerful men in the 14th Circuit, Randolph uh, Jr. and Randolph III. In their counterclaim, uh, the state, the defendants have suffered anxiety, emotional distress, <laughs> physical injury, physical. and uh, injury to their reputation. And their good name has been injured all to their great damage. And they go on to mention several times uh, physical and emotional distress. And in their counterclaim, they don't name an amount, but they actually accuse this guy of um, actions, conduct that is so extreme and outrageous as to exceed all bounds of decency. And no reasonable man should expect to have to endure it. And they called his lawsuit frivolous and unfounded. And they demanded actual damages, punitive damages, and the cost of their legal action. Good grief. I mean, this man just lost his son. And their legal fees were were basically zero because they're both attorneys. And maybe they threw their paralegal a couple bucks to type it up. But it didn't cost them anything but time, I would guess. And That's outrageous. They can't play... They want to have it both ways. They want to have it. You can't sue us, which is which is true. You can't you know sue police officers and, and prosecutors, but they want that, uh, and they want to run for office. But they don't want anybody saying anything bad about them. And that and they do this tactic here, which is is basically a bullying of this guy. I mean, it'd be one thing if they said to throw the lawsuit out, end of conversation. 
But the fact that they go on to say, oh, this guy's you know, hurting our feelings because he's saying bad things about us. Well, wake up there, people. You're in the public spotlight. You're an elected official. It kind of comes with the, the territory. Um, and, and this guy lost his son seven years earlier. Can you just say, throw the lawsuit out, period, right? I mean, that would be the better way to do it, but they're thinking long game. They want everyone that ever thinks about suing a Murdoch to know, we will file back at you. Yeah. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. So it's, it's kind of crazy. Well, I, you know, we didn't even mention what happens to the, the lawsuit. Uh, about a year later, it looks like the date is January 12, 1993. The case went to Hampton County Court of Common Pleas, and it was dismissed. Um, it says it was settled without uh, um, prejudice, uh, action dismissed. So, once again, and no other information is given. There's no, um, you know, uh, if it was settled, was there an exchange of money? Was uh, Did one party emerge um, satisfied? None of that stated in the, in the legal documents. I suspect that Mr. Maddy did not get the justice he was looking for. If they wanted to settle this case, they could have settled it any time based on the fact that they filed a, a, a counterclaim and filed action against him that he, you know, couldn't afford to defend, um, obviously. And uh, so I suspect either uh, the case was just simply dismissed or, um, you know, they gave him a, a paltry sum of money and said, hey, go away. And, and that was the end of that. And we don't hear much more from uh, from Philip Matty after that. I think eventually he moved, moved out of state, out of Hampton County and out of state and Remains one of those uh, one of those Murdoch scandals. Hmm. Well, uh, it has been great again. We appreciate everyone hanging with us on Wicked South, uh, the podcast. You can go to the Wicked South Facebook page. And Michael, what's the deal about uh, you know your your book? We have discussed on this, but somebody borrowing or stealing your book title. Well, I, I don't want to uh, say too much. I mean, uh, you know, our our good friend. Um, Seton, I think, didn't you uh, participate in in this documentary? Is that right? I, I was um, interviewed. I don't know. I'm sure I may just hit the edit floor. You might. You might. <laughs> have been I, cut might out. I might be cut out. There's a strong possibility. What What is it going to be called, Michael? Uh, well, I I was kind of shocked to uh, to get an email uh, yesterday from Fox Nation, uh, Fox News, and they're doing a three part documentary series on uh, the Murdoch's trial. They've interviewed Buster and several people. Uh, in the Murdoch legal defense team and, and others in the Murdoch family. Uh, but it's called The Fall of the House of Murdoch. And oh. I was pleasantly surprised and, and kind of shocked uh, uh, about that. Uh, that is the title of my upcoming book. And uh, we announced a book title over a year ago. Yep. I've been talking about it on, on podcast and on national television. And uh, at first I was a little taken aback, maybe a little offended. But then I guess I began to realize that, uh, you know, this is, I should be flattered. I would say they thought it was a, a great title. And they said, hey, this is a great book about the crime. Let's go ahead and, and, and uh, give, you know, borrow that same name. So you're about to have a documentary with the same title as my book. And I don't know if we're going to take any action about that or not. We, uh, we, we certainly may have a conversation with, uh, with the nice folks at Fox News. But <laughs> I'm trying to, uh, cool, to make the most of it. And, uh, and, you know, every time people talk about this, uh, you know, they're also talking about my book. So, you know, you have to kind of um, make lemons out of lemonade. Well, and your book is coming out in September as well as this documentary. Is that accurate? We've actually uh, got a, a more accurate uh, target date. We're now looking 
at the end of October, 1st of November. Okay. Um, so September 12th, I think this documentary will air. So every time, uh, it's a good opportunity for me and the company. Every time somebody's talking about the book on social media, we can always jump in and say, Hey, if you like follow the house of murder, here's the real falls coming out next month. <laughs> the real, um, the real work of art. We know you're the real deal. Right. Yeah. So the wicked South podcast on Facebook, Matt Harris, Seton Tucker, Michael DeWitt, various socials, Matt Harris podcast at gmail.com. And we'll talk soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.